Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's October the 8th, 2021. Uh, talking to you from San Francisco on the west coast of the United States. And finally today, there's some good news. We've had so much bad news on so many fronts that I'm thrilled to announce some wonderful news. Uh, my old friend Maria Ressa, the, um, the, the very, very brave Filipino uh, journalist who's challenged um, the Duterte regime on so many fronts, who stood up uh, to an authoritarian or a rather brutal authoritarian regime, has been awarded the Nobel Prize for Peace, which is a remarkable achievement. I, I've, I've spent a lot of time with Maria. I've been to the Philippines a couple of times to speak at her conferences, and I'm a huge admirer, particularly of her bravery. Um, it shouldn't be surprising, I'm sure, to most of you that the Nobel Prize is itself somewhat of a, a sexist institution. Uh, Maria is only, according to the New York Times at least, the 18th woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize in its 126-year history, which is astonishing given the fact that women contribute at least as much to men as peace. Uh, this, uh, this, this bias towards men, of course, is not just found in the Nobel Prize. It's everywhere. It's particularly uh, true in the art world where uh male artists have dominated uh, museums galleries the press the media uh, the economics of, uh, of of art uh for the last thousand or two thousand years particularly in terms of self-portrait so i'm thrilled today to have um uh, an art historian uh, australian anglo-australian art historian on the show who has a, a brilliant new book out it's called the mirror and the palette Rebellion, Revolution, and Resilience, 500 Years of Women's Self-Portraits. Her name is Jennifer Higgy, and she's uh, speaking to me from Archway in North London, my old stomping ground. Uh, Jennifer, uh, as I said in the beginning uh, of the show, in the introduction, uh, Maria Ressa just was awarded the Nobel Prize. Um, there, are, there is, of course, no Nobel Prize for art, but I'm guessing if there was one, women wouldn't have got it very often. Would you think that's fair? <laughs> First of all, thanks very much for having me, Andrew. Um, well, women have essentially been excluded from the traditional his art history um, of the last few hundred years, as you mentioned. And so it's only in very recent times that uh, women have begun to be included in narratives around, you know, the development of art. And the thing is, women have always made art, but they've had huge battles to be noticed and to be supported in what they did. Um, so, yeah, it's you're probably right. They probably wouldn't have got a Nobel Prize for art for a very long time, at least. Mm. I'm always a little wary of books on art because all you really want to do is look at the pictures. It's the same as books <laughs> on, on movies and, and perhaps even books on books because... The best way to, to figure out a book is to read it. But your book is really uh, inspiring. It's beautifully written. Here's the introduction. Um, she looks at herself again and again. 
She's in London or Paris or Helsinki or Sydney. She's in a village by the sea or a hamlet in the mountains, in a room, a studio, a flat, a place, however small she can call her own. She's a mother, she's childless, she's straight, she's queer, in a relationship or relationships, happily celibate or filled with a longing for something or someone just out of reach. She's finally found some time alone, perhaps even a moment of peace, even though there's a clamor in the streets. Modernity is hurtling towards her. Tell me a little bit about um, why you wrote this book and, and what's so significant about the, 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 the self-portrait of the female artist. Mm. Well, I went to art school in the 80s and 90s, and apart from... Um, say some feminist artists from the 1970s and 80s, we weren't really taught about um, women in art. And it wasn't until much later when I read, you know, brilliant art historians like Griselda Pollock or Jermaine Greer or Linda Nochlin, who, you know, really mined the, the history of women in art. And it was like, my God, there were women making art in the Renaissance. There were women in the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, all of whom had, you know, brilliant careers, but who were written out of the story. And so a few years ago on Instagram, I decided to start a project where I would just celebrate a woman artist every day of the year um, from history. And so I set myself this task and it was actually quite hard. Um, but anyway, it became something of an obsession. And then I decided to write a book around female self-portraiture because it's important to remember, I think, that in the you know pre-20th century, women were barred from academies. They were barred from the life room. They weren't allowed to paint naked models. They weren't allowed onto scaffolds in the Renaissance. Um, they weren't allowed to join guilds. Some of them did very occasionally, but they were the very rare exception. And so if a woman had access to paint and a mirror and a palette, she could paint herself because often she was the only subject that was available um, along maybe with religious studies or with botanical studies. But, you know, if she was in the studio, she could paint herself with far greater freedom than she was allowed to paint other people. So that's why self-portraiture really um, bloomed among so many women artists from the 16th century onwards, actually. I mean, you've got incredible artists like... Um, we'll, we'll get Sophilis to some of the... Um, sure. We'll get, Jennifer, to some of the artists. And, and I like the way you put it. You, you write about it very beautifully as well. You say, uh, from the moment she was born, she was told who to be. She paints a self-portrait because as a subject, she is always available. She's been barred from so many other places, so many other bodies. Sometimes she's unclear about why and who she's painting her picture for. All she knows is that something compels her to look at herself for hours on end for reasons that have nothing to do with vanity. Quite the opposite. In the book, that's the introduction to the book. And then you deal with these, all these uh, women, female self-portrait artists, uh, artists, you begin, or one of the beginnings of the book is this remark, and I have to admit, I'm, I'm not a, it's not my really my subject, and and a lot of this is completely new. But this mm. this astonishing self portrait by um, a Flemish Renaissance artist, Katerina van Hemmersen. Uh, mm. Is this? Uh, and for people listening, you're missing the pictures, guys. You need to watch as well. Um, <laughs> we have a, an image uh, borrowed from. Um, from uh, Wikipedia, Wikipedia is very valuable in this kind of show, uh, of uh, Katerina's self-portrait. Is she the first, is this the first 
known self-portrait, Jennifer? No, what it is is it's the first known self-portrait by an artist depicting themselves working. And so there were self-portraits by men before. You've got Dürer sort of presenting himself as a Christ-like figure and, and other artists. But no one, as far as we know, had painted themselves at the easel. And so this is a very small painting. And when you look at it, you, you might not even look twice at it because it is a very modest little picture. But it depicts this rather saintly young woman at her easel with her hand raised and she's actually painting a picture of the Virgin Mary and she turns up to look at us and it's and she's inscribed the painting with I Katerina van Hemerson have painted this age 20 in 1548 and to my mind this little picture is actually it's a very rebellious image because at a time when a, this young woman had absolutely no political agency she's depicting herself at work as an artist. And I think it's a wonderfully defiant picture in that and a wonderfully defiant self-image. It's sort of simultaneously defiant and innocent, Mm. I guess. I don't know. Mm. Is that something that a man could paint or only a woman, do you think? Oh, it depends on the man, depends on the woman. You know, you can't really generalize about these things, I don't think. The the other artist that you begin the book with is... um, uh, and I'm going to try and pronounce her name, uh, <laughs> Anguissola, um, an well Italian done. Renaissance painter. Mm. Um, it, it seems as if, particularly in the beginnings, the, the these female artists tend to be either from Northern Europe or from um, Italy, from Southern Europe. Mm. Um, what is it? What's so remarkable about uh, Anguissola? Uh, you write uh, about she... her again beautifully in the book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, she's she's really a remarkable um, firebrand of a, of an artist. She was actually the most prolific um, self-portraitist of anyone of any gender uh, between Dürer and Rembrandt. And um, she was born into a, a rather broke aristocratic family in Cremona in northern Italy. And she probably studied under Michelangelo. And she was incredibly gifted. She was one of five daughters and two other Two other of her sisters actually became artists as well. And then she became a court painter in the court of Philip II. Uh, She didn't marry until she was 40 and probably because the king said it was time she she was married. So she never had children. Um, Her husband died in mysterious circumstances that had to do with Albanian pirates. And then she was sailing back to Italy and she uh, fell in love with a sea captain who was a lot younger than her. And without asking permission from her family, she Ran off. She ran off with this young sea captain and had a very happy marriage by all accounts. And she lived to a great old age and she became hugely famous throughout Europe and painted, you know, many famous portraits of, you know, some of the great aristocrats and leaders of the day. Um, yeah, she's a mar- remarkable woman. Mm. None of these uh, shows or none of these books on sort of histories of art, even if it's a rather personalised narrative you put together, would be complete without mm. some some Dutch art, and this self-portrait <laughs> by Judith Leister um, mm. is sort of quintessentially Dutch, isn't it? I mean, there's something remarkably, yeah. uniquely Dutch n- a- a- about this image and perhaps about her. Yeah, this is a, this is a really wonderful painting. It's um, an early 17th century painting, um, and she depicts herself, she's only in her early 20s, and she's in her finery, actually holding 18 brushes at, at the easel. And so she's she wouldn't normally be painting 
in you know this beautiful ruff and these very magnificent clothes and she's painting actually she depicts herself painting an actual painting that we know of um, that she'd done earlier and um, she turns to smiling slightly you know it's a it's a wonderfully lively picture of a young woman in the midst of her creativity and delighting in her creativity and and she probably did it um, we think to um, to uh, present to the guild, the local guild, so that she could, as a woman, join the guild, which was very unusual for the time. And and she did join, she did get in, and she, so she was very famous in her day. But um, she died at the age of 50. She had a lot of children. And after almost immediately, even though she was very famous in her lifetime, after she died, um, she, she sort of disappeared from the history books and most of her work was attributed to her um, contemporary Franz Hals, the very famous Franz Hals. And it wasn't until the late 19th century that um, she was sort of rightly, her work was rightly attributed to her. So um, another another great story of a woman, an extraordinary woman who was written out of the history books for too long. In these terms of these early histories, I'm not sure if it's appropriate to talk about early history, whether it's Dutch art or mm. the Renaissance uh, or uh, or Flemish, the Flemish or the Italian Renaissance. What mm. what was the general? And I, and I know this is a sort of a rather big question, um, general question. What what was the response of male artists to the the remarkable work of people mm. like Van Hemerson, uh, Aguisola, uh, 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 and uh, and and Leicester? Well. You know, sometimes it's hard to work out precisely how they were received because, you know, if they didn't write about it, you know, we have to surmise. But with all of these examples that you've just given, um, the reason that Katharina van Hemerson could paint was because her father was a painter. And often this is a story that you hear again and again, that these are artists who are born into artistic families and that's what gives them access because normally they don't have access to any kind of training. Um, so Judith Leister, um, actually her father wasn't an artist, but her husband was an artist and he was apparently quite supportive. And um, also uh, Sophonisba Anguissola, her father wasn't an artist, but he was, a, as I mentioned, he was an aristocrat, but he was he had slightly fallen on hard times and he really saw the value in his daughter's um, brilliance. And so he, he, we could almost describe him as one of the first dealers in self-portraits because he was very vocal in selling her work. Um, so he was very supportive of her work. But, um, yeah, again and again, it's, it's if they're born into artistic families, then that immediately gives them a heads up. Another couple of artists that you write about in, in the narrative are a couple of Baroque artists. Um, I, 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 uh, Artemisia Lomi and um, Gen yeah. uh, Elisabetta Sirani. Um, yeah. What what did the the, the Baroque style bring mm. to female self portraiture? Yeah. Well, I mean, both of these artists are absolutely extraordinary, and Artemisia is more commonly known as Artemisia Gentileschi. And her, was yeah, her I chose the shorter so. one because it's easier to pronounce. <laughs> Fair enough, <laughs> um, but you know, she was a massive talent. Um, again, she was born into an artistic family. Her father was a well-known artist, um, and you know, she—it's—it's uh, it's very well known that she suffered terribly when she was seventeen. Um, she was raped by her father's. Um, assistant who was also her painting teacher and she underwent a horrific year trial um, but she came through it all and she 
blazed on the other side. And you see that the Baroque, which is the great period for big emotions and, and black and white and in terms of very dramatic color and dramatic themes. And this suited Artemisia's um, uh, themes in her life. She often painted very big, uh, she, you know, she's very famous for painting Judith and Holofernes, you know, which is um, a young woman murdering um, uh, an, in an invader. And it's hard not to psychologize, you know, why she might have done that. Um, with with Elisabetta Serrani, she was um, born into Bologna, which was one of the great cities for supporting women artists. So there were lots of women artists in, in um, 18th century Bologna. Um, and she and she died at the age of 26, but she, you know, she painted literally hundreds of altarpieces and and devotional works. And she started the first art school for women that wasn't um, religious in Europe. Um, so both of these women were absolutely extraordinary and, um, you know, were were famous, very famous in their lifetime. Um, but again, you're talking to me from to... London, so uh, mm. we probably should include an English portrait painter, mm. uh, Mary Beale, mm. uh, also yeah. features uh, 17th century uh, English painter. Um, mm. Yeah, the English have Most... never been very good at art, have they, Jennifer? Uh, <laughs> well, it depends. Uh, there have, of course, been some brilliant um, British artists, and Mary Beale is a is a case in point. She was fantastic. Uh, she was working as a professional artist in London, um, and she was um, she was the first person in England to write um, uh, an how to book, or not even a book, really a pamphlet um, about how to paint. And she wrote a, a wonderfully short pamphlet on how to paint apricots. Um, and she had a very happy marriage and her husband was happy to work in her studio and, and help support her. Um, so she was the main breadwinner. Um, and she also wrote a treatise on happy marriages and, and what constituted a happy marriage. It's and interesting she was... that, uh, so not all these artists were sort of radical in a sense. And, and one of the artists that you mm. cover is this uh, uh, French, 18th century French artist, Elizabeth Louis Viguet, who was an artist of the old regime. Here we have a, a mm. self-portrait with her daughter. So mm. children are, are, are introduced. Not all, all these artists then were political radicals, were they? Well, she she was, she, another amazing story. Um, she was Marie Antoinette's favorite painter. And so she painted- Right, so um, a sort of an artist of the old regime. I mean, I don't know whether it was her choice to be Marie Antoinette's favorite painter. Oh, absolutely. She was thrilled. And uh, she was a great supporter of the royal family. And um, they were exactly the same age, she and Marie Antoinette. And so um, when the revolution happened, she actually had to flee to Italy with her daughter and the governess because she definitely would have, you know, probably ended her life at the guillotine being so close to the royal family. And um, yeah, and I, th I thought that it was very important with this book to stress that it's not that, you know, all of these women are similar politically that would be ridiculous in a way you know some of the uh, some of them are conservative some of them are radical some of them are left-wing some of them are right-wing but um all of them forged their own way um in a very difficult world for women in, so, a, in a stylistic yeah. sense is there a big mm -hmm. jump from the self-portrait of women with little jesus babies to <laughs> women with their own babies um i mean with these pictures actually it the 
portrait that you've just showed me of um, Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun with her daughter, it looks to our 21st century eyes like a very sweet, almost saccharine portrait of a, a mother and a child. But actually, this was a very radical picture because she's depicting herself smiling. And this was before the revolution. And smiling was banned in French painting at the time because the tea, the king at the time had very bad teeth. And so it was considered um, uh, insensitive to paint anyone with good teeth. And so she's depicting herself with her daughter smiling. And so it was actually a very provocative picture. And uh, she's very human. She's definitely not some celestial being with an angel child. Right. I mean, all, all the stuff we've talked about so far is, is pre-photographic art mm. and mm. was in some ways much more politically sensitive and, and central mm. to the culture. Is that fair, do you think? I mean, it depends on... I mean, it's 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 almost a case by case thing. You know, some of them, some of the artists were considered um, political, like Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun definitely was because she was a supporter of the royal family. But then you've got someone like Katharina van Hemmersen, who you know was definitely towing the line in terms of um, the status quo of women at the time. Even though she was quite radical, she always depicted herself painting religious pictures. Um, she worked for Philip II. Um, she was quite conservative in her own way, but but radical in the fact that she was a woman. Well, certainly one of the more radical figures um, who you, you write about, a remarkable mm. woman, is Marie mm. uh, Bashkirtsev, a, a Russian yeah. artist. And you know, when the Russians get involved, you know things are going to get interesting. <laughs> uh, this woman is remarkable, isn't she? Oh, she's absolutely amazing because, again, rather tragically, she died young. She was only 26. But, she um, did so much in her life. I mean, I was reading her bio. It's just astonishing what she did. Not her only biography. as an artist, as a writer, as a poet, as yeah. an atheist. Yeah, I mean, her, her, the book that her mother published, uh, her diary that her mother published after she died, you know, which ran to thousands of pages, um, so it was an edited version. I mean, it is an absolutely remarkable document, a frank document about a young woman in the 19th century who's feeling constantly frustrated about her exclusion um, from... Uh, trading from independence from political um thinking you know so she she blazed in a way of you know sexual independence of she was fierce um she uh, there's an edited version of her diary called i am the most interesting book of all and um it's very i think it's it was it's a quote from one of her She's One Ukrainian. I, I think she was actually, I, I say she's Russian. She was Ukrainian, but she could she have walked Ukrainian. out of a 19th century Russian novel. Mm, she really could have. And the, her book, when it was published, when her mother published her book, it became an absolute bestseller. And um, like Gladstone, the Prime Minister of England, praised it. And then people like George Bernard Shaw loved it. And Anais Nin cited it many years later as a as an influence. And other artists like Paula Modison Becker in the early 20th century read this book and were, was absolutely inspired by it. So, yeah, she was she was incredible, Mary Bashkirtsev. You have a number of artists you deal with who are modernists and their mm. self-representation. And again, I, I apologize if I use that term wrong. Uh, Gwendolyn mm. Mary John, remarkable uh, a Welsh uh, artist, mm. uh, late 19th century, early 20th century mm. Welsh artist. Um uh, Paula Maderson Becker, uh, mm. appropriately called Maderson as a modernist, uh, <laughs> and also uh, Helene Sherbeck. Uh, mm. I, I think I guess she's a postmodernist, almost self-portrait with a red spot. These mm. th these female artists are quite remarkable. Uh, um, also, uh, 
Suzanne Valadon. Perhaps you might mm. talk a little bit about that quartet of artists. I know that it's hard to generalize about uh, four, uh, four such mm. distinguished artists. Mm. Um, actually, just before I forget, Suzanne Valadon is the subject of a major show at the Barnes Foundation, if you're in the States, and I, I really wish I could get over to uh, see it because she's well, really... Well, you'll be able to in uh, November. Yeah, she's she's really amazing. But um, Paolo Modison Becker is, is famous for, in 1906, painting what is to, considered to be the first self-portrait by a woman naked. Um, and uh, so she was... She died very tragically just after giving birth when she was 31, and she only had two exhibitions in her lifetime. But at her death, she left over 700 paintings. And she was, you know, at her best, she was as good as Picasso and Matisse in the early 20th century. She, a remarkable artist. Um, Gwen John, um, she was the sister of, at the time, the more famous brother, Augustus John, who was a huge mm. figure in British art at the turn this of the, the century. This is the most Welsh art ever. The well, it's the most depressing self-portrait I've ever seen, which is appropriately Welsh, I guess. <laughs> well, I actually don't see it as depressing. I, I see I'm her, joking. I mean, yeah, you know, I see her self-portraits as very sort of self-contained and, you know, they honour her inner world and they're, they're sort of beautiful psychological portraits. And she's a, she's a wonderful Wonderful artist. She I had a long relationship. Male. My 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 uh, suggestion is very male in in terms of this. It is it is remarkable. It's it's memorable. I don't know. Mm, it's a beautiful. And then what beautiful. about um, Chef? What Beck. about this Helen yeah. Beck. I mean, incredible so, stuff. Yeah, and so she she actually was the subject of a major show at the Royal Academy here in London a few years ago, and there was this one remarkable room of self portraits where she. You, you could see her aging from about the age of 18 to just before she died in her 70s, early 80s. And um, her self-portraits sort of begin to dissolve almost by, by the time, you know, as she gets older and older and they become more and more radical until she's almost like this wraith-like subject. They're, yeah, yeah. they're great psychological portraits. Of all the art I think uh, I, you've introduced me to, I think that's the most memorable. Of course, we all mm. know Frida... Carlo, I was in Mexico mm -hmm. City uh, earlier this year. Here we have two Fridas. How mm. important is Frida in, in this narrative in your book, Jennifer? Oh, absolutely. Hugely, hugely important. And, um, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to see Frida because she's almost become, you know, she's so popular and she's so reproduced that sometimes you can glaze over a bit when you, when you see her paintings. But, you know, you look at her self-portraits and considering that she was in terrible pain from the age of 17 when she was in this awful um, bus accident to when she died, you know, three or four decades later. Um, you know, the way that she mined her psychological states um, with inventiveness and um, imagination and frankness, color. yeah, and colour. And, um, you know, she's, she's an incredibly original and experimental and vivid and heartbreaking artist. I absolutely love her. Perhaps the most honest of all the artists, brutally honest, that you cover is uh, Alice Neal. Here we have her in front mm. of a, mm. I think it's a self-portrait. Um, what does Alice Neal in your yeah. mind bring to the history of female self-portraiture? Well, I finished with Alice Neal, actually, and with her great self-portrait um, in 1980, when she was 80 herself, and she depicts herself naked in a chair, and she's very frank about the ageing process, and, and you know, she she's 
also, I think, very proud of her body and that it has carried her well through, you know, decades of life. And she was interesting, too, because she was a, she's an absolutely one of the great portrait painters, but she very rarely painted herself. And um, she painted herself early on in her life and then not really until she was much later, you know, until she was 80. And she spent five years on this self-portrait and um, uh, she found it, she really grappled with it, I think. And uh, anyway, it was a, it's a, it's a great and frank and honest, I think, self-portrait about what it meant to be, what it means to be a, an 80 year old woman who's still firing on all cylinders with creativity and power. You're originally from Australia, Jennifer, mm -hmm. so uh, it wouldn't be complete without at least dealing with one uh, Southern Hemisphere uh, mm -hmm. artist. Uh, this piece by uh, Rita Angus, a New Zealand mm -hmm. artist, is very striking. Mm -hmm. Brutally mm -hmm. honest in a different kind of way from um, Alice Neal. What is it yeah. about the work of, of Angus that you find so interesting and important well, in terms of the... the the history of, of, of female self-portrait. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rita Angus is a, is a great artist and um, she painted herself throughout her life. She did many, many self-portraits and early on they're, they're sort of more realistic. And then by the time she painted this painting that we're looking at, which is called Rutu, which was painted in the 50s, um, she was really grappling with um, being a New Zealander who's not an indigenous New Zealander. She was of um, Scottish stock who emigrated to New Zealand. And so she was very sensitive to Maori culture. And um, so she's sort of imagining in this image uh, a sort of a fusion of indigenous and introduced cultures and who are who come together in one body with a kind of harmony. And so there are elements here that of Polynesian culture and of Christian culture. And um, she's holding a flower. It's it's about um, finding harmony within um, very divergent cultures, I think. And I think it's a very interesting portrayal of that very complicated state. I love the Leonora Carrington one. I mean, mm. it's, it's, it's astonishingly vivid mm. and memorable. Um, why did you choose to feature this in the book? Oh, well, I've got a big section on hallucination and the idea of, you know, hallucinatory images that can sometimes be very accurate about your state of mind. And Leonora Carrington is a great um, heroine of mine, and she was born into um, a very affluent British society, um, but she ended up running away to Mexico and sort of divorcing herself from her family where she lived with the surrealists and, you know, led a surreal life. And she loved animals. She believed in spirit animals and um, she believed in an inner world and she honoured her dreams. And she was also a brilliant um, writer and I really recommend her her novels and her short stories which are hilarious and and heartbreaking in equal measure mm. well your book is also I think memorable um, Jennifer you end short conclusion uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm not sure if I'll read all of it uh, you write her story weaves in and out of time of place she's traveling on a horse-drawn coach to Paris or Florence she's holed up in a bunk seasick on a ship en route to London or Mexico City or Bombay uh, and then you you go on um, time and time again she's ignored or insulted her entrance is barred and she's ridiculed or rebuffed but still despite everything that is thrown at her she gets up and moves forward into the future even in death she's vocal Unless you actively choose not to see her, she's impossible to ignore. 
There are so many of her. I've hardly touched upon it. She's here. Is she particularly here now, Jennifer? I mean, is there a a burgeoning scene of of, of female self-portrait artists or are things as they've been for the last hundred years? What would you say to a young woman, young female artist just starting out in this business? I'd say, you know, go forth. Absolutely. You know, and I think that now, you know, more than any other time in history, there's been a great focus and on, on, um, female creativity. And, uh, you know, for example, the Suzanne de Valadon show at the Barnes Foundation, there are big shows on, you know, there are big historic shows happening. There was a big Leonora Carrington show on recently. There's been big Frida Kahlo shows, you know, finally women are, uh, uh, being written back into the history books. And, you know, I think it's a great moment where, you know, art historians and, and cultural critics aren't just looking at the exclusions of women, but also the exclusions of people of colour and and people of different abilities and, and, and people of different class. And, you know, so it's, it's I, I think it's very clear that art history is a work in progress. And, um, you know, right now there are great conversations to be had around you know, the, the incredible creativity that has been for too long overlooked. And so light is being shone on these dark corners. I well, think. you're doing the light, you're doing the shining, I think, in this book. Uh, <laughs> Thank the you. The Mirror yeah. and the Palette, Rebellion, Revolution and Resilience, 500 Years of Women's Self-Portraits. It's beautifully written. I, I don't always read from the book, but I couldn't resist oh, thank with you. you. Um, Thank really you very important much. And, and wonderful book, uh, Jennifer. Mm. Congratulations. It, it's It's been out in the UK for, I think, a few months. It's out yeah. uh, now in the US. Um, and I think it's an inspirational book, both for art historians, both male and female, and for aspiring artists. So what are you looking at these days? Um, uh, I usually ask what people are reading. I, I'm sure you're, mm. you're, you're reading some interesting books you might mention, mm. but I'm also curious as to what you're you're looking at because uh, you are mm. a gazer, uh, an excellent mm. gazer, Jennifer. <laughs> well, um, thank you very much for your lovely words. Um, I'm actually I'm I'm working very hard at the moment on my next book, which I have to get finished by December, and that's on um, women art and the spirit world. So it's called The Other Side, and so I'm looking at 19th century um, women artists who who were mediums and um, who channeled spirits in order to make their pictures. People like Georgiana Houghton and Hilma F. Clint and um, a bit later Emma Kuntz. And um, anyway, there's a whole very rich history of um, women art and spirituality. And, and then I'm looking at a lot of contemporary artists too who are sort of channeling spirits. So I'm, I'm, I'm deep in ghost worlds right now. Good. And um, what about books? Anything you're reading or have read that you think is particularly memorable, worth, um, worth um, uh, blurbing for our audience? Yes, actually, I will blurb a brilliant uh, new book by a wonderful writer called Rebecca Birrell. Um, and her book has just come out. It's called um, This Dark Country. And that's a quote from Virginia Woolf. And it's looking at still life paintings by women artists in England in the early 20th century. And it's a beautifully poetic, rich book about, um, again, overlooked women artists um, at, in, in the turn of the century, 100 years ago. Well, Jennifer, I think you'll have to come back when you've done your ghost book, come back in <laughs> real you. life, uh, because this great subject, very illuminating for me, I have to admit, I didn't know a great deal about it, but you, you write beautifully, excessively and passionately about an incredibly important subject. Thank you oh. so much. Keep well. Good luck with the new book. And we'll talk again maybe next year when the book comes out. Oh, well, thank you very much, Andrew. I really appreciate being on the show.